Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. We came into this post-stimulus correction period expecting a smooth two-year glide path. Little did we know that correction would get compressed into one quarter. More on that in a bit. This week, our three things are, one, the correction. Markets have reset. Now what? Two, the Fed's financial stability report is out. It's really not that bad. And three, the fall in cryptocurrencies. Here's how it affects credit. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. The wisdom of crowds. So we've been waiting for the correction, the post-stimulus move toward what many call normalization. I don't want to say post-pandemic yet, especially with what's going on in China. And I'm not sure I want to label it normalization either, because that implies we are headed back to where we were. And as we said at the outset of the pandemic, we are going to be different coming out of this from what we were heading into it. So let's go with correction, where we expected gradual economic deceleration back toward a cleaner, free of distortion, growth rate of 2%. Well, the glide path to that place was supposed to be gradual, going from 6% in 2021 to 4% in 2022 before returning to the longer-term expectation of 2% in 2023. Well, it's turning out that that glide path has gotten much steeper, feeling like it is happening here in the first several months of 2022. Now, it turns out that 2022 has been shocked by two things. One, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and two, China's COVID-related lockdowns. Now, you could argue that the real shock has been much higher than expected inflation, but that strikes us as a consequence of the first two shocks. In any event, the correction is evident across a variety of market and economic indicators. This era now has an official name, rates shock, which seems to have triggered the sell-off in risk, equities first, and now credit. So here we sit with historic moves back toward normal, the 10-year Treasury is at 293, up from 0.51% in August of 2020, but right on top of its 20-year average and only a touch above the 276 that the Bloomberg consensus sees for year-end. The forward multiple on the S&P 500 has come down to 17 times, which happens to be on its 20-year average and down from 27 times reached at year-end 2020. IG option-adjusted credit spreads have widened from 80 basis points in June 2021 out to 139 basis points, which is close to its 20-year average of 151 basis points. High-yield spreads have widened from its recent low of 262 basis points back in July 2021 to 437 basis points, which is still comfortably inside its 20-year average of 515 basis points. And default rates, forecast to be, courtesy of our KBRA Altman one-year forward forecast, 2.65%, close to the 3% long-term average. So we're kind of back to normal, or are we? In addition to facing the economic headwind of significant fiscal drag into 2023, flipping dramatically from fiscal stimulus through the pandemic period, we are confronted with two significant points of uncertainty, the war in Europe and the prospects of a Fed policy error. 
The former's worst case scenario remains a tail risk and is therefore difficult to invest around. But something more likely, a further spike in energy, is a more likely outcome and one that could trigger a recession, especially in Europe. The latter, the Fed over-tightening financial conditions as the economy slows, has boosted recession probabilities in the U.S. toward 30% over the next 12 months and higher still in 2023. And that prospect will continue to lean on risk markets. We are also increasingly worried about lower-income consumers and small businesses and their ability to absorb the costs of inflation. Two data points to consider as you think through these situations. One, two-thirds of American families are living paycheck to paycheck, according to research jointly done by Payments.com and Lending Club. And two, the NFIB's outlook for small business conditions over the next six months just hit an all-time low. Now, as we've talked about often on the podcast, it is worth remembering the starting point coming into this correction period. In the aggregate, consumers and businesses are well-positioned to absorb the effects of the slowdown. Just a bit of context as you think through these tumultuous times. All right, on to our second thing the Fed updating the risks it sees on its radar. The Fed just updated its semi-annual financial stability report, which it produces as part of its dual mandate for monetary policy, as an unstable financial system can undermine full employment and stable prices, and its supervisory responsibilities to promote safety and soundness in the banking system. The goal, broadly speaking, is to keep credit flowing through all phases of the business cycle. And to that end, the report focuses on shocks to and vulnerabilities of the financial system. To stay current and attached, it solicits the views of a wide range of researchers, academics, and market contacts. Risks are centered on four categories, asset valuations, borrowing by businesses and households, leverage in the financial system, and funding risks. Apart from a few one-off items, such as skepticism as to the durability of stablecoins and fast-growing lending to non-bank financial institutions, the only category that the Fed rolled out cautionary language on was asset valuations. According to the Fed, that while uncertainty about the economic outlook led to large fluctuations in prices of financial assets, asset prices generally remained high relative to their cash flows. Now, digging a bit deeper into the topic, the Fed noted that quoted depth has decreased since 2021 for the interdealer U.S. Treasury market, the S&P 500 E-mini futures, and West Texas Intermediate Crude oil futures markets. This markedly low depth could indicate that liquidity providers are being particularly cautious and liquidity may be more fragile than usual. Declining depth at times of rising uncertainty and volatility could result in a negative feedback loop as lower liquidity in turn may cause prices to be more volatile. In other words, when the Fed drains liquidity, things break. Now, in credit, the Fed observed that while heightened uncertainty weighed on risk appetite for corporate bonds, corporate bond spreads remained low by historical standards, suggesting that valuations continued to be high. The excess bond premium, which is a measure that captures the gap between corporate bond spreads and expected credit losses, also suggests that investor risk appetite was high. The Fed did point out that the share of new speculative-grade bonds with the lowest ratings was at low levels by historical standards. 
It also noted that the share of outstanding bonds sitting on the Triple B cliff reached its highest level in two decades, suggesting that many investment-grade bonds remain vulnerable to being downgraded to speculative-grade in the event of a negative economic shock. Now, we have long held the view that this risk is overblown. Knee-jerk downgrades of large triple-B firms with significant financial flexibility have been a good opportunity to buy. That, in and of itself, significantly diminishes the risk that the Fed is worried about, namely a forced-selling domino effect. Okay, on to our third thing, the sell-off in cryptocurrencies. Now, a year ago, almost to the day, we addressed the issue of Bitcoin and its implications for markets. Given the sell-off in cryptocurrencies, we thought it would be useful to dust off that segment. A year ago, we came across a piece titled, We're All Holders Now, written by Victor Hagani of Solomon Brothers and Long-Term Capital Management fame. Yes, that long-term capital management who is now the founder and CIO of money manager Elm Partners. We see Bitcoin as a byproduct of the times and bit up out of speculative fever. And more importantly, we really don't see how Bitcoin's gyrations affect credit markets. Then I read the piece by Mr. Hagani and his colleagues. By the way, HOLDERS is the acronym for H-O-D-L, as in hold on for dear life. This is actually defined in Investopedia as referring to buy-and-hold strategies in the context of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, recognizing the wild ride crypto investors experience. Who knew? What caught Mr. Hagani's attention was an interview he heard of a 28-year-old crypto whale who suggested that the nature of Bitcoin, from an investment performance standpoint, had changed as its value has skyrocketed from fringe darling of speculators uncorrelated to more traditional investing assets, to something where the correlation to equities is, in the interviewee's words, robustly positive. Mr. Ghani's own research confirmed that view, noting that both the stock market and Bitcoin are being driven by some common forces, and in fact, as interest in Bitcoin has grown, it is behaving like a big, techie, super volatile stock. All right, we get it. Bitcoin and other cryptos now get a lot of press as they have emerged from the shadows into a more visible asset class. And as something equal to roughly 3% of the U.S. equity market, you might want to have a view. But here's where it gets interesting from a credit standpoint. Mr. Hagani mentions that Bitcoin could be a canary in the coal mine of global risk markets. He points out that the dot-com and subprime mortgage bubbles at their respective peaks each amounted to roughly 4% of global equity market value. Hmm. And unlike either one of those situations, many cryptos fall outside of SEC oversight, something SEC Chair Gary Gensler has alerted to lawmakers. The total value of the crypto market is now roughly $1.5 trillion, equal to approximately 3% of the U.S. equity market. Should cryptos continue to lose their footing, anyone who lived through LTCM or the GFC knows how the dominoes can start to fall. Selling begets selling, liquidity dries up, contagion spreads throughout risk assets, including credit. Does that sound familiar? Chilling. I guess we're all holders now. By the way, banking cryptocurrencies has become a big business. For more information on this, please see our research report. Banking on Digital Gold, the Intersection of Digital Assets and Banks, dated March 1st of this year. 
You can find it on our website, kbra.com. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, the correction. Markets have reset. Our better starting point makes this better than 2019. Two, the Fed's financial stability report is out. It's really not that bad. And three, the fall in cryptocurrencies. Think of it as a proxy for high beta speculative stocks. The sell-off is contributing to confidence-damaging volatility. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest research and ratings reports. See you next week.